welcome to the T2C Podcast. Here are your hosts, a double dose of Tyler and Christian. Welcome back, everybody, to the T2C Podcast. I am Tyler Savaiyanaya. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Suavage underscore. Make sure to follow Christian at Folsom's Facts. And you can also follow Tybo and the show at T2CFP. Uh, follow us there. Leave us with any questions, comments. Uh, let us know you're listening. Uh, we do bring on guests throughout the off season. As you know, today we're going to be bringing in Mr. Bob Fesco from 610 uh, Sports Radio here in Kansas City. Um, and so anytime you got questions for any of the people we're bringing on or some hot takes, uh, let us know so that we can uh, we can air you out a little bit on the show. Um, but what are you guys thinking about uh, about bringing on Mr. Bob Fesco today? Super no excited. excited. <laughs> Super excited. Yeah, sorry, Tabo. Super excited. Uh, Bob's a uh, big time KC sports personality, obviously, the host of 610 Sports in the morning on his on the Fexco in the morning show. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. And I'm really excited to just pick his brain about some of the draft picks we had and some of the um, you know, free agency pickups we had, and as recent as just a few hours ago today, a couple of uh, players uh, that we signed by a corner and a wide receiver, uh, some promising talent there. So that's just a little, as they call it in the biz, the tease ahead to our interview there with Bob. Hi, Bo. You know, I I've listened to him in the car with my dad as is a little bit younger lad. Um, he's got a lot of hot takes and, uh, my dad usually takes it as gospel. So, you know, he's, uh, he's been a little bit of an inspiration in my life, but I don't always agree with everything on his takes. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things about, about sports radio. You don't always agree with it while I'm on my way to work. I definitely don't always agree with Bob. I, I appreciate his opinions and he has a lot of good insight, but, uh, oftentimes are not on my way on my early morning commute, I will be yelling at Bob Fesco through my radio, much like others do. It's his job though, right? That's true. <laughs> well, without further ado, here's Mr. Bob Fesco. Well, uh, this week we've got a great guest. Uh, Bob Fesco was nice enough to agree to come on. Uh, Bob, how you doing today, man? Good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Good time to be talking about the, uh, the chiefs and everything that's been going on lately, huh? No kidding. No kidding. It seems like a good time. Yeah, the NFL never rests. Uh, we even had a little bit of news right for the show, but we'll get to that here in a bit. Uh, let's jump right into it with, uh, with uh, obviously, oh, I didn't even give his accolades. Uh, for those of you that don't know, in case you've been living under a rock, Bob Fesco is the morning host uh, for 610's radio that's in Kansas City. Um, so uh, Bob was very nice to come on, and we appreciate it, like we said. So let's get right to it. Uh, obviously, the draft um, and, you know, just happened and – for pretty much anybody you, you ask or listen to uh, is giving high praise and high accolades to Brett Veach, obviously the GM of the Chiefs there, um, and to the Chiefs in general for coming out like bandits after this draft. Uh, Bob, I guess just very briefly, kind of give us where you feel, uh, and if you want to give it like a letter grade, uh, the stereotypical letter grade, feel free, but just kind of give us how you feel uh, in generalities about where the Chiefs stand. Well, we, we did something on the show the other day and we said, you know, use one word to describe your thoughts on the draft. Cause I, I always think it's too early to give grades, but that's just me. You got to let these guys play a little bit before you can say whether or not it was an A, B or C type of draft. But for me, the word I use was stoked because I, I like a lot of the players that they took. I like a lot of the positions that they, they took players at. And, and I love the fact that they really went defense heavy because I still think defense was kind of the weakest link as, as, as much as people love offense and want to see the high 
high-flying Chiefs return like we saw, you know, Patrick Mahomes' first couple of years. You eventually have to go out there and stop the opposition. And so I think they did a really good job of getting younger uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And it looks like with their first two picks in the first round, you're going to have two starters right off the bat there. And there may be others throughout the uh, throughout the draft as well. Uh, you know, the linebacker out of Wisconsin is going to get some playing time, Leo Chennault. And, of course, I think Joshua Williams is an intriguing guy as well out of Fayetteville State, kind of the beginning of the run on tall corners for the Kansas City Chiefs, tall defensive backs, you know, for the Chiefs that are over six foot. So I just love what they did. And I think the sleeper of this whole thing is going to be Kennard, the uh, offensive t- uh, tackle. They have him listed yes. as a guard for some for whatever reason, but he's, he's going to give every opportunity, be given every opportunity to start uh, at that right tackle position for the Chiefs. He's my favorite value pick. I think uh, as late as we took him, he was, you know, biggest value that could come in and compete for a starting job, make the other guys around him work harder. And, you know, I just like you said, I I think, you know, he's going to take all the opportunities that he can. Well, the good yeah, news I, about it is, is he, he's going to be given the opportunity to win that job. And he's really only competing against Wiley right now, you know, for that spot. And it's very similar to what we saw with Trey Smith a year ago when he came in and was, you know, not the starter right away at that guard position, but they really wanted him to to kind of win that position at right guard last year. And I think the Chiefs are really rooting for Kennard to win that spot at right tackle. And I think it's just cool to have the ability to draft two offensive line starters, potentially as of right now in the fifth and sixth round and turn them into really, really good football players. And at 345 pounds, I mean, that canard kid is huge. Monster. <laughs> and he can move. That's the the surprising thing. If you if you go back and watch some of his film at Kentucky, they actually had him pulling to the opposite side quite a bit. And for that large of a human to move that quickly. Scary sight to see. Very scary for some linebackers back there. Well, and what what kind of you know gets me excited about it, and we we've talked about this for the last couple of years, and, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire has to stay healthy for more than five minutes to get out there on the field and do this. But him in the screen game, could you imagine Trey Smith and like Kennard leading this Ooh, guy down the field, goodness. blowing people up and destroying people? I mean, I, I'm just looking at it right now in my mind. I'm like, man, that that's just a thing of beauty because people are just going to get out of the way. Nobody wants to get hit like that, and you know, guys in the NFL are making business decisions all the time about whether or not they want to get hit or make a tackle. I mean, you got those two beasts coming at you you're getting out of the way man it's gonna be clear sailing for for Clyde just looking at his picture from draft day and a couple of the videos like maybe not the the best comparison as to uh, you know the type of player that they are but like physical appearance he reminds me a lot of Willie Rofe you know he's playing on the other side of the offensive line but you know just the size and the stature he he gives me Willie Rofe fives you know, we had Willie on our show last week talking about a project he was working on here in Kansas City. And Willie Rofe is one of the most phenomenal athletes that I've ever seen. In fact, he's he's probably the best athletic, most athletic offensive lineman that I've ever seen because the man could barely walk, but the whistle would blow and he just moved people out of the way, destroy you, then kind of go back to the huddle and do the same thing all over again. And, and he was just, a, he was like, just uh, kind of amazing to watch Willie Rofe play. I just enjoyed watching him in one-on-one drills and training camp. And if this guy could be, you know, half the player that Willie Rofe is on the right side, I think they found themselves a big time winner. No kidding. I'm, I'm going to ask to, to, to move on from the offensive tackle. Cause I, I 100% agree. That was a fantastic pickup in the first round. A lot of everybody is loving the two picks that we, that we took. And I absolutely do love uh Trent McDuffie. 
I myself am not a fan of George Karloftis. Um, I, I think he does have what could be a very high ceiling, although I believe his floor is much lower than some of the other prospects that were available at pick 21. Um, what What are your thoughts on taking Duffy at, at 21 and then uh, uh, sacrificing like a Jermaine Johnson uh, at that position and picking up George Karloftis at 30? Well, I think, you know, Brett Feach has done a really good job of identifying talent. I mean, whether it's, you know, undrafted free agents, whether it's in trades, whether it's in the draft itself. I mean, he has a pretty good eye for talent. And and there's one thing that I will never, ever, ever get mad at a general manager for doing, and that's identifying a guy that you want and going up and getting him. And, and I think that's what the Chiefs did with Trent McDuffie. They identified a guy who they believe can really play at this level at a position of need for them. And, and it's not often that this organization goes out and spends a high draft pick, you know, on a quarterback. Really, since Marcus Peters, they haven't done it, you know, ironically enough from the same school wearing the number 22. You see those similarities, you know, in Trent McDuffie and and with Marcus Peters, but they really like this kid. They think he can play at a high level and be a day one starter. And, and he probably wasn't going to make it to 29 and clearly wasn't going to make it, you know, to 30. Uh, but the Chiefs were in a position where they needed to, to get somebody, I think, at that spot. And it's a, a player that they coveted. And, and if you see a player that you like, you go grab him. And I think with this coaching staff, with Steve Spagnuolo and the system that he's in, he's going to be set up for success. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages the Chiefs may have, a, you know, over just about every other team in the NFL, save maybe the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers are in this category as well. The coaching staffs make such a difference and they can coach up these players that when they come in here, they're probably not going to be a draft bust because the coaches are going to put them in the best possible place to, you know, kind of have success. And so I think when I look at a guy like Trent McDuffie, maybe they jumped up a little too high in your mind to go out and get him, but they're going to coach him up. And I think he's going to be a really, really good player for this team. And if he does fail, well, that's on him because he's going to be given every opportunity to have success. I mean, I really like the McDuffie trade. I, I feel like if we maybe could have picked up Jermaine Johnson there and then picked up Kerry um, uh, Elam at, at the 30 spot, I think that may have been in my mind, a little bit better ready for day one. But one thing that would make me feel much better about the George Karloftis situation is if we maybe brought in a guy like Jadavion Clowney and moved Karloftis into the three tech after watching some of his film, I feel like he may be better suited there at least for the first, if not maybe two years into the league. Do you think that may be something as an option? Well, I, I don't I don't know, you know, where they're going to play him and, and how they're going to do it. And and you mentioned a guy like Jadavion Clowney. They did kind of tender Melvin Ingram that contract today at four point four million dollars, which is more than he made last year here in Kansas City. So I think that's kind of the guy that they have their eyes, you know, kind of set on. And I, I think, you know, if I'm a betting man, I would bet Melvin Ingram comes back now. Also, if I'm a betting man, I do the same thing. I'm not going to St. Joe, man. There's no point in going up there. Training camp sucks, especially when you're a veteran like that in that heat. So if you can skip that and still come here and play and have the type of season and impact that he had when he got here in the middle of the year last year, then that's a win. But Steve Spagnuolo is all about having depth along the defensive line. That, that's when he's at its best as a defensive coordinator. When he won the Super Bowl with the Giants years ago, they had so much depth on that defensive line. They were able to rotate guys in and out. And that's what he kind of did in that first year here in Kansas City. It had a lot of rotational depth on that defensive line. And I think they want to get back to that. So just because the draft is over and, you know, rookie minicamp and all that stuff getting ready to 
startup doesn't mean they're not going to continue to add. And there's always going to be somebody that they add, whether it's this time of the season or, you know, later towards training camp where you look at it, the season was over and you go, man, where would they have been without that guy? Like Mike Pinnell is the guy that comes to mind for me that year they won the Super Bowl. Like he was really, really, really important on that defensive line, not just because he made some plays, but because he was able to, you know, give the guys an opportunity like Chris Jones to go to the sidelines, get a rest, keep those guys fresh. And that's really, really when Steve Spagnuolo has his most success is when he's able to rotate guys in and out. And I think that's what they're trying to get back to. You talk about depth, you know, on the defensive line, speaking more broadly in terms of that side of the ball and defense, obviously Um, the chiefs, we just went over God, Trent McDuffie with the the first pick of the draft. Um, And then of course, you know, in the second round, as you had briefly teased before, kind of mopped up with some more defensive players, safety, Brian cook uh, with the second pick in the second round. That was constant linebacker Chanel, which we briefly talked about before too. Um, You know, then two major pieces of news kind of in terms of DBs today for uh, obviously not in the draft, but still for the chiefs defense, Uh, the chiefs went out and uh, just signed uh, well breaking right before the show, according to Tom Pelsero, uh, uh, they've got the corner Lonnie Johnson from the Texans uh, with a conditional seventh round pick uh, talking about depth in terms of the defense there. That's certainly uh, something that we can add to there. And um, so I wanted you to talk about briefly about that and the depth in terms of DBs, but also uh, the small shred of hope that people had that Tyron Matthew might be able to stay around, um, especially after his revisionist history comments, mm-hmm. mentioning that he would have taken the same money uh, for some of the other guys that, you know, that the chiefs may have gotten um, reading some others, um, you know, so now that we, the news has come out, today that he's going to go to the Saints, obviously going home to New Orleans for him. Uh, So the Chiefs won't have that to look at, which I don't think anybody was really holding on to any hope that that was going to be the case anyway. Uh, But Lonnie's kind of now going to be another depth option there. I guess just those things all being said, speak to sort of the depth with the DBs, um, you know, safeties, linebackers, corners, et cetera. Well, they, they got younger. There's no question about that. And I think their depth is better right now than what they had a year ago at all those positions. And, you know, as for Tyron and, and money, it was never a money issue. The Chiefs did not want him back. I mean, there's, there's no matter how much money he would have taken or how much little he would have taken, they were ready to move on. And that's what happens when you get to be 30 in the NFL. I'm all for getting rid of everybody over 30. I, I, I mean, I've been saying that for years. People think I'm nuts. I would have traded Tyree Kill two years ago. I would have been too early on it, obviously. But you don't want to have aging guys on your roster that you're paying money to. And if they sign, you know, Tyron Matthew, let's just say to that three-year, $33 million contract, in a year, everybody would be complaining. It's not like he's coming off a great season, right? He, he was, you know, seen getting burned a lot, made a lot of business decisions when it came to making tackles and whatnot. And so I, I think it was just time for him to move on. He's 30 years old and the Chiefs don't want to get bogged down in, in those type of contracts. And that's the smart business decision. In a salary cap sport, when you're paying your quarterback a half a billion dollars, you're going to have to make some changes and cuts and adjustments elsewhere. That's why these last two drafts really are so important when you talk about depth for this organization, but not just depth, guys that aren't making any money. And, you know, you you, you go out there and you make the move for Lonnie Johnson today and you give up a conditional seventh round pick. And essentially what that is, if he makes the roster, they owe a seventh round pick to Houston. If he doesn't make the roster, they don't owe Houston anything. And this is a kid, and I've talked to multiple sources, both in Houston and Kansas City about Lonnie Johnson and, and what they expect from him. And his biggest problem from what somebody told me down in Houston, he was just 
just, you know, a, a little immature. He wasn't, you know, quite ready for the NFL moment from a mature standpoint, but also the Texans kind of messed around with him too. They were putting him at safety. They were putting him at cornerback, the back to safety, back to cornerback. He was bouncing all over the place and never was able to find, you know, a, a way to get comfortable. And, and I think a lot of times in the NFL, and I, I say this about quarterbacks more than any other position, but, you know, a, a lot of the times the quarterback stinks, there's no question about it, but a lot of the time the teams stink and they don't allow the quarterbacks to have success. And I think that's kind of what they saw down in Houston with Lonnie Johnson. They, they bounced him all over the place. He's playing this position. He's playing that position. He was never able to get comfortable, really get a feel for what they wanted out of him in the NFL. And thus we have a second round pick that was dumped for a conditional, you know, seventh round draft pick. He, he wanted to go to an organization that was going to give him an opportunity to play corner. And that's exactly what the chiefs are going to do. They're not going to mess with him at safety. He's going to play the cornerback position. He's going to come in here and compete for one of those spots on the roster. And if he makes the team fantastic, you lose a seventh round pick. So what, if you get a starter for a seventh round pick, that's fantastic. I mean, they, they traded Traverius Ward or traded for Traverius Ward a couple of years ago. They gave up the 10th best offensive lineman. It really is a win-win situation for the chiefs. Yes, I would agree. I think, it, and it is a conditional seventh round pick. So um, to to send that away, if he doesn't make the roster, I believe we get that seventh back. Yeah, they don't they don't have to give up anything. I mean, so so you know, you want that to make the roster. I mean, he's a talented football player. Of There's course. no doubt about it, right? But if he doesn't, he gave up nothing. He was going to get released anyway by the Texans, and I'm sure the market would have been fairly big for him because you know this league does not give up on talent. And a kid that was drafted in the second round in 2019, that's not that long ago. You know, he he can still play. He's still got wheels. It's not like he's an aging veteran. So you flip a seventh round pick to Houston just for the opportunity to have him for him not to test the free agent market, because I'm sure 31 other teams would have been kind of knocking at his door to get the opportunity to have a guy with that talent. Now, a lot of us may remember him from that game in the, in, in the 2020 when the Texans blew that 24 nothing lead. He's the dude who blocked the punt to give the Texans the 14 nothing lead, the block punt, scoop and score for him. But then he also turned around and had a huge pass interference penalty with the Chiefs. Uh, down 24 to seven. He committed pass interference on Travis Kelsey inside the five that set up their second score. And as we know it, the chiefs went on to blow the doors off the Houston Texans in that game. So he's familiar with Arrowhead. He's familiar with Justin Reed. He's familiar with Matt house. You know, one of the chiefs defensive coaches was his coach at the, uh, at the, uh, at Kentucky. And so he's got some familiarity with that, with that as well. And so when you have a coach and a player kind of vouching for you, you want to go out and get that player. You want to have him here because you, again, you can't have too many good football players on your roster. You mentioned about age and that you'd like to get rid of just about everybody uh, that is over the age of 30. Does that still fall in line also with probably the best tight end in NFL history? Well, Travis there's no, Kelsey. I mean, I mean, it's, it's okay to say he's getting up there in age, right? He's 32 years old and oh, of course. He, he, he can still play, you know, there's exceptions obviously to, to every rule, but I mean, they went out and got Noah Gray for a reason. They, they're trying to find that next guy. So when Travis Kelsey does, you know, go into retirement and he's had enough, we're not standing here going, Oh my God, what are we going to do at tight end? You'd like to kind of have that guy in house, but you know, everybody, you know, father time, he's undefeated. And, and that's why you always have to stay ahead of it. Now for a quarterback, in this league, you don't really need to worry about that anymore because it's basically two hand touch for those guys. It's not like they're going out there and getting hit unless they're running and you know decide not to get out of bounds or slide. There's so many rules in place to protect the quarterback, which there should be. They're the stars of the league, right? We all want to see Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and all the great ones play week in and week out. You don't want those guys injured, so I don't have a problem that they protect the heck out of them. But those other positions, man, 32 years old now as a tight end with as much as Travis Kelsey plays, I think they were probably a little bit disappointed in what Noah Gray brought to the table last year because when 
when they mm-hmm. did draft him, the plan was to say like every third series, he'd kind of go in there and give Travis Kelsey the opportunity, just to get a rest during the game, keep those legs fresh. And that really never happened. One of two reasons. One, it's Travis Kelsey. You don't want to take him out of the game. And number two, no gray probably just wasn't ready to kind of handle that kind of load yet. Uh, so just for all the listeners at home, uh, Bob was just briefly mentioning kind of some of the past stuff with Lonnie Johnson. Uh, so just some numbers for everybody real quick, and then we'll switch gears to offense real quick before Bob's got to take off. But in three seasons in Houston, uh, Johnson started 19 games. He played in a total of 25 other games as well. Uh, he totaled 172 tackles, three interceptions, and 13 pass breakups. Uh, so that was one pickup that the Chiefs had today in free agency. They also had another switching gears to offense. The Chiefs signed former Clemson wide receiver star uh, Justin Ross. Justin Ross. Yes. And to put it into context here, this is a guy who in the past has had a lot of first round draft rates. Well, hold on. I've got some sort of, there we go. I had an ad playing in my ear. I was annoyed. Uh, the Chiefs had some sort of, uh, 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 I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. Anyway, sorry. So Justin Ross, they picked him up today. Uh, he's had first round draft pick grades in the past. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he's had spinal disorders and other stuff that's disrupted his career. To put this kind of into context, he played for that 2018 Clemson team that had an incredible offense. Um, he was arguably, uh, like I say, arguably the best wide receiver on a team that had T. Higgins, Amari Rogers, and Hunter Renfro. Uh, this is a guy who has oodles and boodles of talent, but uh, uh, obviously has got some injury concerns. Um, between that and some of the other pickups that the Chiefs have had between um, Amari, or not Amari Cooper, um, uh, my God, Steelers guy, I'm forgetting his name right now, that we just picked up in free agency this year. Um, Juju. Juju. Yeah, Juju, excuse me. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, between him and Juju and some of the other pickups that the Chiefs have had to kind of put the, and you know, in Sky more in terms of the draft. Uh, where do you put the Chiefs wide receiver room? Obviously, we briefly talked about Tyreek Hill's departure. Uh, sounds like that you're high on that departure anyway. Uh, do you think that some of these guys are going to be able to step in, kind of fill those shoes? Uh, pretty much the biggest shoes in recent memory for the Chiefs that uh, need to be filled in terms of a wide receiver. Uh, where do you grade or uh, just how do you feel about the Chiefs offense in terms of pass catchers? Um, I know we briefly talked about Gray and Kelsey, so we've kind of already t- covered the tight ends, but just in terms of the guys catching the passes. Yeah, you, you know, obviously you lose a lot with Tyreek Hill, right? He's a top five wide receiver in the NFL, but then you take Tyreek Hill out of the equation and you look at who the rest of the receivers were last year. Like Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, I mean, McCole Hardman, who I'm still fairly high on, and obviously the organization is high on him as well. They only drafted one guy, you know, at the wide receiver position when fans wanted so many more. And so you look at that wide receiver room and then you compare it to what they have now with MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster and a more mature McCole Hardman, who's in the offense for another year. And obviously you factor in Sky more. And and the, the Justin Ross signing to me is, is, is a very, again, an interesting win-win type of sign for the Kansas City Chiefs, because this is a, a guy who, you know, if he goes out there and plays, then, then you got a star receiver, you know, with a an undrafted, you know, uh, way into the NFL. You didn't, you don't, didn't spend a draft pick on this kid, but it's going to be interesting to see how that back heals. And, and essentially what he had done from what I was reading about him, the top of his spine and the bottom of his spine were both fused together. Nobody's ever played in the NFL with, with that happening, but the talents there. And if the NFL allowed freshmen to come out after that 2018 Clemson season that you guys were talking about, he probably would have been the number one wide receiver, maybe the number one pick overall in that draft. But obviously as 
We know the league does not allow that rightfully. So you're still too young to go and play in the NFL after your freshman year, you know, in college, say maybe a Jadavion Clowney or somebody like that. But I, I think it's a, it, it's a good gamble by the chiefs. I mean, there's really no money on the table. You're not losing anything by, by bringing them in here. And if anybody can make guys work, it's Andy Reed. They've got a great medical team here, but it's going to be very, very interesting and intriguing. I saw a doctor on Twitter say, they're all watching this to see what happens with this kid and whether or not he can play in the NFL. And if, you know, he gets cleared and he can play, he could be a big impact for this team. And maybe if he starts to play well in a couple of years, we'll be looking at him going, wow, that was the biggest steal of the Brett Veach era. Definitely could be the biggest steal, but it's also, you know, like you kind of touched on, it's very low risk. There's mm-hmm. not a whole lot we have to worry about. And, you know, Tyreek Hill's departure, you know, everybody was kind of saying like, who are we going to put in, bring in to, to replace him? We didn't bring in one guy. One guy can't replace Tyreek Hill. Right. We brought in multiple guys. And I, I'm, I'm happy with who we have in our wide receiver room. And I talked about it a couple shows ago. Pat's also happy with his wide receiver room. He thinks they're very physical. He's excited about sky. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy with the guys that we collectively replaced Tyreek Hill with for sure. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. And, and I like your reasoning too. Hey, Pat's happy. Well, who the hell am I to say? I'm not happy. I mean, this is the best quarterback right. in the NFL today <laughs> paired with, you know, uh, an offensive mind and Andy Reed and, and Eric B and now bringing Matt Nagy back from Chicago as well. I mean, you got some offensive geniuses that are going to be in there and it's going to be different and that's okay. Different doesn't mean bad. I know everybody like freaks out. Oh my God, it's going to be different. Who's going to take the top off the defense. They'll figure it out. Maybe it's sky more. Maybe it's, you know, who, who maybe it's Juju Smith Schuster. Who knows who it is, but, Maybe you don't need to take the top off the defense. You move the ball down the field at a little bit of a slower pace and give your defense an opportunity to stand on the sideline. So I'm just excited to see what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and company are going to do from an offensive standpoint, because look, like it or not, believe it or not, the league figured out these guys. Look what happened in the last 30 minutes and five seconds of the season this year. The Cincinnati Bengals figured out the Kansas City Chiefs and a lot of other teams did as well. And now just as everybody's kind of starting to figure out how to play defense against them, they get rid of that that big weapon that everybody played differently defensively and now everybody's back to square zero trying to figure out a way to you know defend the Kansas City Chiefs what are they going to be like there's literally no tape on this offense right now so they're going to have such an advantage going into the season no tape on uh, an Andy Reid offense uh, is a scary thought no question well Bob we we thank you so much I know you're a busy guy and you took some time out of your day to just spend some time with us and talk KC sports Today, specifically Chiefs, obviously dominating the headlines with a couple breaking stories and player pickups today, and then obviously summing up the draft. Uh, Was there anything else in terms of Chiefs that you wanted to briefly touch on before we let you go? Super Bowl or bust, baby. Let's go. Hey, you love to hear (laughs) it. Let's go. Hey, Bob, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and uh, thank you so much. You've been a huge inspiration to all of us. We love listening to you, and uh, go Chiefs. Thanks, man. Man, that was a great conversation. I actually ended up agreeing with a lot of what Bob just had to say on our show. You know, I might be coming around on uh, old Mr. Bob Fesco, you know, <laughs> it was good. It was good. I still have to yell at him in my car. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there, there was quite a bit that we touched on. Um, how are you guys? We, we didn't, we didn't, I got to talk about it a little bit, but how are you guys feeling about this draft so far? You know, I'm feeling really good. Um, it didn't exactly go the way I thought it would go. You know, uh, when we traded up, you know, I 
for certain thought we were going to grab um, Jermaine Johnson. Um, and I feel like the only other team that was looking to get a cornerback uh, after that point, the chiefs were aware of this, the bills, you know, uh, they wanted to take Trent McDuffie away from the bills. And I feel like if we would have taken um, Jermaine Johnson, we at least would have gotten Kyer Elam at uh, pick 30. Um, I think that would have been my preference, but, I'm not unhappy with it. I think we got a lot of good value later on in the draft. Uh, linebacker out of Wisconsin, uh, the tackle out of Kentucky. I think both of those were big value picks. So I'm definitely, um, I'm one of those people that's going to give him an A plus on this draft. A plus for you? A plus. Wow. What do you think, Christian? So um, I really, really, really love the first two picks. Uh, I don't think that Karloftis is going to really be as much of an edge rusher as, as maybe has been let on. Um, I do think he's probably going to be more of an anchor up the middle that'll just bowl with guys like Chris Jones, et cetera. I could see it. Obviously this is not a comp. I'm not saying that these players are similar, but I could see him playing a role similar, similar to old time Tom Ali of, of years past where he almost plays like this, kind of not full edge rusher, not full linebacker up the middle as well. Kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to on that line. Um, obviously he doesn't have the speed or the hands of like Tamba. That's why I don't say it's like, it's not exactly a comp. I'm more so meaning like the role. Uh, I love the pick. Um, I know that not everybody, uh, especially people specifically on the show are big PFF fans. I'm not necessarily a PFF fan either. I do think that PFF has some fun uh, and how they like can grade draft picks and can grade teams and what they do. I know PFF gave the chiefs an a plus uh, one of only three teams uh, that got um, uh, an a plus. I believe the other two were the Ravens and the lions or might've been the jets and the lions actually. Uh, but I know that there was only three total teams that got an a plus several others got A's, B pluses. The chiefs were one of those other ones. Um, I, I really love it. I, I would give the chiefs an a plus as well. Um, I think I'm also a little bit biased in that, um, we had some great pickups and I know this isn't exactly draft talk, but we briefly talked about it with Bob, um, you know, in the couple of the players we picked up today that are both complete, not a risk at all. It's, it's, it's all reward. If anything, uh, you're not putting a lot on the table to risk for them. Uh, so you've bolstered your defense. You've given yourself a few more offensive weapons, whether that be through free agency or through the draft beat strikes again. Um, and real quick, before I finish my summary of it, um, PFF, you know, they, they rate their players uh, in the draft based upon just where they would put them. The Chiefs uh, in their first five picks, uh, you know, so that would be picks 21, 30, 54, 103, and 145. Um, they got, according to PFF's big board, the 10th best, 11th best, 22 best, 22nd best, 36th best, and 79th best. Every single one of their picks was considerably better in terms of value for the players. And this is obviously just according to one source and one outlet, every single pick got way more value at that pick slot than its number slot. Cause you went from pick number 21, you got the 11th rated player pick number 30. You got the 10th rated player 54. You got 22nd 103. You got 36, 145. You got 79. So I know in our, in the show before the, the draft, I was harping big time. All three of us for that matter, we're harping big time on value and squeezing value out of your picks and value, especially um, out of the picks that you got from Tyreek Hill, because uh, you saved the money in the cap space on Tyreek, but you really want to capitalize on those on those pick values. And I think Veach, you know, not to use a pun from another sport, but he hit it out of the park. So A plus for me. 
Yeah, for me, I, I think a lot of people have it, you know, around that A, A-plus spot. I really have to give this a B to a B-minus. I, I think ouch, we did a really, really good job. I mean, it's so hard to get an A. It's, it sh- it's like the only people that should be getting an A for this draft is probably the Jets. Three first-round picks. That's the only way you should be able to get an A is that you have a ton of first-round picks, and that's more than two. Uh, and, and it's just strictly, we, we did get what a lot of people would consider value, but we missed out on two major portions. We got almost no depth at defensive end. We only brought in one player. We don't have very many players there. We've got three or we've got three currently on roster. The others are going to be cuttable material. They're just, they're just, uh, camp bodies. And we only brought in one guy who looks more like a three tech than he does a seven. Um, and then on top of that, we brought in no defensive tackles because we're probably going to play Carl Loftus, uh, Carl Loftus at the, at the seven. Now, if we move into the three, we bring in Melvin. I, I'm fine with that. That's a little bit more depth that would actually bump the, the draft up in my opinion, because then we've added the defensive tackle, um, depth, which I feel is a little bit more important than the edge depth with who is available as a free agent. Um, so for me, it has to be a B or a B minus. Um, other than that, like we, we did fantastic at getting corner depth. I think we're going to be amazing there. And now we get to play nickel and not see Daniel Sorensen get burned. How do you always feel about that? Oh my God. I don't know how many times from the stands I was yelling at number 49, looking at Tyron Matthew holding his frigging arms up like, dude, what is going on? I'm so happy to see him gone. And speaking Tyron of Matthew, he's probably not happy to play with him on yes, the Saints. Yes. <laughs> speaking of I'm Matthew, so happy that's a fi- thing. He finally gets paid. He gets to go home to New Orleans, and he still can't escape Sorensen. Poor guy. <laughs> but we'll use that. We'll use that to kind of uh, pivot here into the next bit of our conversation. We're talking about you know Tyreek, or excuse me, Tyron Matthew, and some of these other free agent pickups that have happened since the draft. Um, and obviously, Tyron Matthew, as we just said, went to New Orleans. Uh, big news in Hollywood Brown being traded uh, to the Cardinals. Uh, which was a bit of a question mark considering they've already got a number one receiver in obviously DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, and so there was a lot of question marks there, maybe just thinking, okay, you know, we've got a great player and a great quarterback in Keller Murray. Let's just load up, have some good talent around him and surround a good quarterback with good players. No harm, no foul there. Uh, well, come to find out, and we'll get more into this here in a second, uh, because there is a connection with Hollywood Brown to the Chiefs. Uh, but today we find out that DeAndre Hopkins is suspended. Uh, for six games for PED usage, we still have not gotten any specifics. That word is so hard, y'all. We still have not gotten any specifics about what PEDs were used or anything specifically in that regard. But we do know that he'll be out for those first six games of this season, which now completely explains the Hollywood Brown trade. Um, So I know that Mr. Tybo has got a pretty fun little anecdote about uh, Hollywood Brown and a potential trade that would have been connecting him with the Chiefs. Uh, so, Tybo, tell us all about that. Before we get there real quick, one thing I wanted to talk about on the trade was, uh, as an Oklahoma fan, um, Kyler Murray, Marquise Brown played at Oklahoma. They're actually best friends off-field. They're best friends. They only played together for one year on the field. Obviously, Kyler backed up uh, Baker Mayfield, but they are best friends. This is something that Kyler was begging Cliff Kingsbury for for actually two years. He's been begging for them to bring in Marquise Brown for two years. We know that Marquise Brown was not happy with the situation going on in 
um, in, in Baltimore. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he's gotten a ton of passes his way. He should be more happy. He's just drop happy, or he should have been happier where he was. Um, there's not, there's going to be more competition for passes. Everybody know. Well, a lot of you listening will know that I am also not a fan of Lamar. He's a great runner. He's a great athlete. We've talked about this before. His arm is not that of a competent quarterback, somebody who throws the ball in today's league. And, you know, you may say he's dropped a ton of passes. Watch this year. Kyler Murray is going to put the ball, a good ball. It's not going to be wobbly. It's not going to be out of his zone a little bit. He is going to catch and hold on to more balls this season than he has in any of the past. I think it's going to be um, fun to watch what that chemistry um, brings about down in Arizona. Um, I will say Lamar's getting better. Lamar is a fun, fun player. He's to missed like eight eight games. It's going to be really hard to tell what kind of player is going to come back next year. Yeah. But um, anyways, I, I stumbled upon some articles on Facebook and you know, it's Facebook, take it for a grain of salt, but their sources were, or their source was Hollywood Brown himself. And um, he reported that the Packers and the chiefs um, were in some pretty serious and aggressive trade talks trying to get him. Um, and I think the reason uh, the main reason why Hollywood Brown ended up in Arizona is because they were willing to give up a first round pick. I don't know if the Chiefs saw the value in giving um, a first round pick for Marquise Brown, um, which is why the trade inevitably fell through. But, you know, the Chiefs were, you know, fairly close at landing Marquise Brown and bringing him into our wide receiver room and, you know, maybe losing a pick or two from the middle middle part of our draft. <laughs> which we we obviously did with our trade-ups in the draft anyways. Uh, but that's that's interesting. I, I think I, I may have liked Marquise Brown here. He, he definitely would have fit the Tyreek role. Um, but, man, we, we've got a lot of short, speedy guys. This offense is wild. It's I mean, it'll be something to see what comes out of that Clemson wide receiver because um, he's a big body. Um, and if he works out, I think, um, you know, he's going to be – He's going to be our 50-50 ball guy. He's going to be the guy that goes up and gets those contested balls. um, Someone who's a little bit different than our short, speedy guys. There was another trade out there. It was for Mr. A.J. Brown. We talked about the acronym names. And I'm surprised that we didn't see Debo or uh, uh, DK or Scary Terry move off of their teams. There's obviously still a ton of time until the trade deadline in the middle of the season. What do you guys think about... Uh, AJ Brown getting traded uh, to to where he is now, and for signing for fifty seven million guaranteed, four years, hundred million dollars. It's twenty five average per year. I think the Chiefs, uh, depending on what we would have wanted to give up for him, which I would, would they give a first and a third? We easily could have got that a long time ago and had plenty of money to play around with. That was a uh, that's, that's less money, far less money than we were even willing to offer Ty, Ty, uh, Tyreek. I think the, where he ended up is, is going to be, you know, good football to watch. The fact that they have Devonte Smith and AJ Brown, uh, that Jalen hurts gets to throw the ball to. He's another, he's another guy who seems to be better at running, but is getting better at passing the ball. Uh, I think the Phillies offense is going to be interesting and probably going to be better than the Cowboys, uh, as of next year. Um, and AJ Brown's going to be pretty much responsible for that. I think so. The AJ Brown pickup, I think tells me two big things. One, this really, really solidifies as if it hadn't already 
that Jalen Hurts is their guy going forward. They're surrounding him with more talent. They're giving him what you know that he's going to need. They didn't pick up anybody, as far as I know, at the quarterback position in the draft. They've not gone after really anybody else. They are putting all their eggs in this basket for him. Another thing that this that I think is really interesting for the Eagles um, and for that relationship specifically, and the reason I mentioned it, is A.J. Brown and Joe Hurts are friends, obviously. Um, and A.J., when he was signed by the Eagles, said that Hurts had been lobbying the Eagles front office for a long time to make this trade happen. Uh, so similar to the Hollywood Brown and the Kyler Murray uh, kind of you know relationship that you mentioned before. I, they, they didn't go you know to the same school and they're not like maybe that close, blah, 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 blah. Um, but they obviously have a relationship that was established before and he was, he was lobbying for it. Um, you know, AJ Brown would have been great for the chiefs. Uh, I think the chiefs made out fine with uh, MVS and with Schuster and with sky Moore that they got in the draft and they still got me Um, you know, I understand when you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, people want to just keep stacking everybody around him. And I totally get that, especially after losing Tyreek Hill. Um, but I think just the timing of it would just would wasn't great um, for the, for the chiefs at least um, the money, obviously like Tyler said, would have been fine. I mean, they could have afforded him. Uh, they could have made it work. It would have been fine. Uh, I just think that the time that he went, the chiefs had kind of already had their ducks in a row in that regard and have kind of shifted gears and what it is. They're one of two prioritize. Uh, but anyway, good for AJ. And uh, I mean, I think Ty was right. I think that the Eagles will arguably have a better offense than the Cowboys. And I think if you'd have told me that, gosh, even a couple of weeks ago, I'd have told you, you are high. <laughs> I have to disagree with one of your statements here, Christian, because you said that they're putting their eggs in their basket with a, that they think that they have found their guy in Jalen Hurts. And I have to dis, I have to vehemently disagree with that because the Eagles have now put themselves in the same situation that the Miami Dolphins have put themselves in. And that's not that they found their guy. It's that they're founding their team. See, they bring in all these wide receivers. They get the offensive line set. You get your weapons. You get everything set. You bring in your offensive coordinators. You get your team set. And you have guys coming up on potential contract years. Two is coming up on a contract year. Jalen is coming up. It's not this year. It'll be next year, but he's coming up on a contract year. So why do we do this? It's not because we found our guy. It's that we don't know if this is our guy. So what we're going to do is put all of the, pay all this talent, not them. We're going to give this, this talent money because we know that they're proven with other quarterbacks and other systems, make these quarterbacks have to play to the best of their abilities. And if they can't cut it, you're gone. And that's because they had to deal with a draft this year that had no quarterbacks. We saw one quarterback taken in the, in the first round. We didn't see a, a quarterback taken again until the third round or fourth round. Like there was no quarterbacks in this. This is a giant mess. And so the Eagles and the Miami dolphins have not found their quarterback. They're just founding their system so that when next year rolls around and the quarterback draft is going to be bonkers, they've got their guy next year or when the quarterback market opens back up because guys deals are done. Well, and the other part would be like, they're, they're putting the guys around the questionable quarterback to give them the best chance to succeed. Exactly. If it doesn't work out, you know, they can fall back in the draft, you know, but. And if it does work out, then you pay it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Christian was talking about a little bit ago is some breaking news that happened in the middle of the day, uh, talking about wide receivers DeAndre Hopkins gets suspended for six games due to PEDs. And I just have one comment about that. Two comments, actually. Number one, how do you get popped for PEDs and you miss seven games? 
And number two, how the hell didn't we know this? We've had how many people from the Houston Texans get popped for PEDs in the last two years? Maybe three. And what was he taking them for? Well, <laughs> who is their strength and conditioning coach? Is it not Mr. PED himself? Brian Cushing? Oh God. <laughs> did we not did we not think this one through NFL? Did we not know that Mr. PED himself was the strength and conditioning coach? There were multiple articles written about it. And within his first year of being there, who gets popped? Will Will Fuller, who misses 19 games a season. And then there was another D-back who got popped too. There was two guys that got popped at the end of the season with six games left while Deshaun Watson was still playing. So that was two years ago. We had another couple guys get popped last year. And now we've got a guy who got out of Houston because oh maybe we know that we're well obviously there were some issues there with with the coaching staff and whatnot but maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes we don't want to get caught with the peds no, what, I will, what are you guys thoughts on him getting suspended for six games for ped use i, w- I will say that he left when did he leave houston this would have been three seasons ago now right uh they were coming up on the third season right and he as recently as December tested negative for PEDs and he's tested negative his entire time that he's been in Arizona. Um, Brian Cushing is a POS and yes, the man does love to do PEDs. Don't get me wrong. And yes, there is a slight slant connection to be made with Houston, Texas players or some other players getting popped for PED usage and all that. But D hop's been clean since he's been in Arizona. They, it's not like they don't test these guys. We know in the meantime. Of. Well, that they, we know of. They test, them in, they test them in the meantime. So and the ESPNs who broke this story earlier today, so credit to ESPN on the D hop story. Um, and now Adam Schefter and Josh Weinfuss, who are the ones that broke it. Um, but D hop is recently as December tested negative for everything. He was completely clean on everything in December. And then his test this week had a quote trace amounts, trace elements of a banned substance. Um, and that tests in both the months before and after were all negative. Uh, so they, but they don't specifically give any timelines of the month before and after, but they do specifically give the timeline of the December one. Um, so we know that he's been clean up to this point. Now, in terms of my own personal opinions on this stuff, I, I'm complete with Tyler. I don't get, what is it that you're taking this for and that, and what has it actually helped? Cause he's been out for an MCL injury, correct? He, got- he was out for a multitude of injuries, and and that's potentially why he took PEDs. If if we're saying that he hasn't cycled off, this is the first time that we're catching him and the first time that he's using it, period. The one thing that could be brought up is he missed seven games last year, didn't play well in the playoffs. He's using the PEDs to get himself back to normal health. Could, could be. Could very well easily be the case. I mean, just for everybody at home and for the timeline to refresh everybody here on the show, too. So week 14, Monday Night Football, he, he suffered an MCL injury against the Rams last season. His knee was surgically repaired in December, and he then took that test that he did not come back positive anything on after that surgery. And then in February, while he was making the rounds for interviews and stuff in the week of the Super Bowl, um, he went on the Sirius XM NFL channel, which of course I don't listen to or anything, but credit them for the story. Um, and he told them that his rehab was going great and he was ahead of schedule and that he was excited to be coming back. Um, obviously to give some numbers to Tyler's statement, because Tyler's entirely right. Uh, he finished with 572 yards and eight touchdowns on just 42 catches. This was after the season before he had over 1400 receiving. So yeah, you're, you're replacing a one and picking up Hollywood Brown, but this is a one that 
for all intents and purposes, didn't even play, let alone was a one. Um, you know, so I guess without us having any other inside knowledge or any anything else to add on to the story, I mean, we don't even know what PED, there's so many things on the banned substance list that are performance enhancing drugs. So we don't even know what kind he was taking, whether it was something for recovery, which we have to assume because that's what most of these do, or if it was something just to help increase his performance or both. We don't know. Uh, either way, I mean, the guy is a bona fide absolute superstar who is starting to get up there in age in the league. He's, he's not, I know you can't characterize him as old, but he's now coming off of a big injury and is getting up there in age. And, you know, as we know, it's a copycat league. And if you can't do it and you can't be copying these big time offenses and being a receiver, they can catch big time, make big time plays and play vertically. And I mean, you know, D hop's famous moment was the big hail Mary catch and everything over the three guys posterizing those guys. I mean, that's, that's the level of play he's wanting to get back to. And that's a level of play that very few athletes in any sport in this world are at ever. And you know, he's not there coming off the injury. Uh, I have to agree with Tyler. I think he's doing it just to try and get healthy question is, is that even really what it was? I don't know. We'll see, but we all, we know he's not playing. So uh, I guess the better question now is, you know, where does this leave the Cardinals? Do we think they're going to be as good a team with Hollywood Brown as their one? Do we think they're even a playoff team without, without Deandre Hopkins? I would argue, no, I'll bet you, I'll look this up while Tybo's kind of given his case, but I'll bet you all of, Kyler Murray's numbers are significantly worse without D-Hop on the field. So that's kind of my two cents. It's, it's just a strange situation. And to be suspended six games for quote unquote trace amounts of PEDs, it, it seems kind of questionable to me, um, especially if we, you know, take it as um, truth that he hasn't, you know, dabbled in PEDs before. Like if he's been clean before and he shows up trace L trace amounts, you know, you know, it just seems strange, I guess. Um, but you know, the, I think Roger Goodell and the league itself, you know, needs to get a little bit more consistent with, you know, how they're suspending players and, you know, they gotta, they gotta, really think of what statement they're making when they're suspending players and what they're suspending them for. So I, I just think it's strange. And, um, I, I don't think Hollywood Brown is going to replace a D hop. And I think, you know, the chemistry between him and Kyler is going to be something fun to watch, but I don't think it's going to bring the Cardinals offense to the level of where it was when D hop is healthy. I, I would agree with most of that. One thing that I would do in, in a com quick comparison is uh, we're talking about trace elements, but there was the same trace elements that also landed arm Lance Armstrong and many of his other competitors in cycling in a lot of trouble. It was, it wasn't just blood doping. It was also steroids and it was trace trace amounts. If you look at another sport that um, uses a very high quality testing is the UFC where they use USADA, which is the United States anti-doping uh, agency where they found picograms of a banned substance for, for John Jones, which got him in trouble and banned for a long or not, not banned, but suspended for like over a year. Um, now, obviously there were other issues that led to him being suspended for a full year. But when, when we're talking about trace elements, you have to, you, there's a reason why such small amounts are used to suspend players. It's because of the fact of cycling because you can cycle off of these. I mean, a lot of people say in the UFC that a lot of dudes are on steroids or they're on um, some sort of PED 
and that they just cycle really, really well. When was the last time you've seen a big fight in the UFC or in boxing get called off for PEDs? It's been a long time because dudes either got really, really good or the stuff nowadays is undetectable. It's the same way in cycling. That stuff is either undetectable or they're really good at cycling it off. Um, and so keep in mind those, in cycling, keep in mind in cycling, that was systemic as well. And, you know, the side, the cycling PED correct. usage was worse than the 1980s and 1990s PED and steroids epidemic for baseball. It was worse than that. Right. I, I don't correct. remember the exact number, but however many people um, in the tour de France, the year that he got caught, I believe it was the first 30 some odd guys all had to strip 18. and take it was the first first 17 the yeah, how, 18th how, guy took first place yeah i see so it was systemic it was that bad so well i understand where you're where you're coming from in terms of like the comparison there i'm not saying it's a bad comparison i'm saying keep in mind we know what substances they were doing we don't know what deandre hopkins was doing i'm just playing devil's Correct. advocate and that we don't know what's going on now real quickly well, and there's before, a lot of things that are made we, real quickly before we move on yeah. because we don't want to spend all of our time on peds and everything else and we want to move on to another topic anyhow but i know i was told mentioned that i was going to look up the stats for Kyler murray with and without deandre Hopkins. All of us, it sounds like unanimously agree that this team is not as good and is definitely worse with Hollywood Brown instead of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, so with DeAndre Hopkins, um, Kyler Murray has a pass rating of 98.6, has passed for 6,753 yards, 45 touchdowns, and 21 picks in 26 games with D-Hop, okay? Without D-Hop, his pass rating drops from 98.6 to 87.9. So 11-point drop, significant drop. He then has goes from 6,700 passing yards to 4,700. So that's 2,000 less. Keep in mind, this is in six fewer games without as well. So take that with a grain of salt. And then he goes from 45 touchdowns with 21 picks to 25 touchdowns and 13 picks. So, and again, keep in mind, it's still a, it's a it's larger sample size with D-Hop than it is without. Um, but he does become a worse quarterback without D-Hop goes without saying we've all watched DeAndre Hopkins play. We could have said that without the numbers. It's just cool to hear the numbers to back it up to. Uh, so going from that, we're talking about his suspension with PEDs. Um, earlier this season, Calvin Ridley was suspended, I believe for a whole year, correct? Just for this entire season. Full season. Yep. And he was suspended for gambling. Now he gambled on the NFL. He didn't gamble on any of his own games, but he did gamble on the NFL. Uh, it's against the code of conduct for the players. So he was suspended for the season. This is the age-old argument here. This brings up the ethics and the morality um, and the level and the severity of punishments because we've seen, and I don't want to go down this road, but we've seen you know, only a few games for domestic violence incidents. Some that have even been filmed on camera. We've seen now six games for cheating and using PEDs and DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and, we, you know, most folks, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys would disagree with this, but I'm understanding that most folks would say that PED usage or domestic violence or stuff like that is worse than gambling. We've now gotten to the point where gambling is so present in sports that almost every other commercial break, you've got a fan duel or whatever network it is talking about sports gambling. Every new sports outlet, ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, whatever it may be, they've got the, the lines and the gambling stuff rolling on the bottom. They've all got specific tailored gambling shows now. The lines are becoming more and more blurred when it comes to gambling and sports. I mean, shoot, for those of you that had to live in Kansas City or that are fans of the Royals in general, you've had to endure the Bally Sports Network and how you're watching the Kansas City Royals. That is a sports gambling outlet that is now completely taken over the marquee sponsorship of the network that you watch your team on. This is a sport, not to go too off, off the beaten path, this is a sport that's not allowing the all-time leader in hits in the Hall of Fame due to gambling, yet they will allow their network that airs their local teams and affiliates to be sponsored by sports gambling. That being said, 
Where are our thoughts when it comes to the severity of punishment between DHOP, PEDs, others when it comes to domestic violence, and Ridley being suspended for a season in gambling? And we bring this up because of some happenings with Arrowhead Stadium and sports gambling in Kansas, which we will get to in a second once we get the guys' takes on the punishment for Ridley in comparison. Correction before I give it over to Tybo. He did, uh, Calvin Ridley did uh, bet on his own team. He didn't bet on his own games because he was not playing at the time, but he did bet uh, on the Falcons, uh, uh, I believe, multiple games. But was he just, was he using FanDuel? He was, was using, using, he was not using any of the, actually, I, it was one of the majors. I believe it was FanDuel. At this time, he was not in Atlanta. He was in Florida. Uh, the NFL does have markers on players' phones and phone numbers. He downloaded the application onto uh, one of his phones uh, that was registered to the NFL uh, and the NFL has an agency out there to flag any markings for gambling. Uh, and that's how they were able to trace exactly what bets he did and when they, when they were. So I under, I kind of understand, you know, the whole ethics of sports betting and you don't want the players in your leagues betting on what's actively happening in the league. You know, you don't want players to <laughs> bet on somebody somebody else doing well. And then you tank your play to, you know, you know, help the other guy or whatever it may be, you know, you don't want to, you don't really want to see that, but man, it just seems like a huge level of hypocrisy, like to ban somebody for a full season. And like Christian has said, all the advertisements and everything surrounding sports networks is, you know, sports betting, you know, we, we see it, it it's literally pushed in our faces when we watch a football game, you know, it, it's, it's it, to me, I, especially for someone who's sitting out, who wasn't even technically on there on his team at the time, you know, it seems strange. It seems hypocritical. Um, and, you know, I would like to see heftier, suspensions for maybe some more serious issues like domestic violence and, you know, using of PEDs, because I don't, I just don't think that situation is as serious as the NFL wants to make it out to be. And I don't think um, Ridley deserves a full season off. I, I would agree. Um, and, and I think, I think everybody is in agreement. If you are betting on your own team to win or lose and influencing the game, then, then that is totally different from what Calvin Ridley did. But um, Christian, you'll be able to, to answer this question for me. Are you allowed to do insider trading when it comes to the stock market? If you have insider information, are you allowed to trade stock previous to anybody else knowing? Well, it depends on who you are. The, 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 the short answer, <laughs> the short answer is no, but the, the sad reality is yes. Yes. So correct. Uh, it is, but that is the same way it is. It needs to be looked at when it comes to sports gambling is it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's still part of the team. He still knows players on his team. He knows players on other teams and whether they can say that uh, he, whether Calvin Ridley can say that he did or did not use insider information to make these bets. He still is an insider. Therefore he has insider information on to make himself money. Right. And so that's, that's where that issue stems. Now I'd like to point out that I do also think that the, the year long suspension is a little ridiculous, but we have to remember that 
gambling has always been just a hands-off big no-no and it hasn't been just a hands-off big no-no because it's been available everywhere. It's still not available in all 50 States. Not everybody can do this. You have to be in select state. I think it's like six or eight States right now. So it's very, very small, minute places where you can go and bet, which is why there have not been rules made. So why is it important that there haven't been rules made? Number one, we already have rules for PEDs. They've been in use for a long time. So we already have rules in place for them. That's the same with domestic violence. It's the same with everything else. PED specifically, if you are caught or test positive once, and there is an appeal system. So D-Hop can come back and appeal this. He may not get six games for it, but he, with the, with that suspension, you can, um, this, uh, if you test positive, your first offense is six games. If you test positive a second time, it's a full season or up to the league's judgment. If you test positive for a third time, you are out of the league, much like Josh Gordon was for a very long time. You are correct that he can appeal the suspension, but Adam Schefter has reported today that he's already rescinded his appeal. So you are correct that he can, we go. he does have the ability to appeal, but he has, there's more to this than we know, like I keep reiterating, and he has already rescinded his appeal. So he's going to serve six games. That's that, that that's what's happening. Interesting. Uh, for, so, so for some quick context, before we kind of move this into the, the whole reason we brought it up, which is, you know, he mentioned there's only a few states in the country with sports gambling. Kansas is one of those states that's on the slate to potentially do that. We'll let Tyler kind of explain, you know, the logistics there and and kind of the legality there because he's been reading up on this a lot. Uh, but just to put a to put a pin on the rest of the Calvin Ridley stuff because uh, I got the specifics wrong earlier, and I'm glad that Tyler corrected me because I got the specifics now. They determined that Ridley placed multi-legged parlay bets, including three, five, and eight games that included, but were not limited to, the Falcons to win with his mobile device when he was out of state. And this is all according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. So credit to Schefter for getting that story. And then one last little bit of information that only backs up what Tyler said more about it being not unprecedented. He didn't say that, but with it not really having as much of a precedent in place, like with PEDs when it comes to the punishments, uh, he is only the fifth player in NFL history to be suspended for gambling. Uh, there was a couple guys back in 1963, one guy in 1983, one guy in 2019, and then Calvin Ridley in 2022. So it's not been as prevalent as something like PEDs or other things were such as domestic violence or whatever else. Um, so just, just to give people some context when it comes to that. Um, and then kind of shifting gears, but sort of staying on the gambling topic, as I teased before, um, and, and before I let Tyler explain this, I do want to push everybody to our Twitter or below this in the Spotify page uh, of this episode. We did put up our poll question for the week. It'll be up until next week's episode. This week's question pertains to what we're about to talk about with the sports gambling in Kansas. We want to know, one, are you for or against sports gambling in the state of Kansas? It's totally fine. We encourage everybody to answer whether you live in Kansas or not. Uh, so are you for or against sports gambling? Uh, if you'd like to reply with your reasoning as to why you are or are not for it, go for it. We, we always love the engagement in the replies. Uh, we would love to see it. Um, and then, so there's four total options, for or against. There's two fours and two againsts. And then each of those also has a, do you think that you will see Arrowhead move to Kansas because of this? Uh, because there's a lot of benefits, uh, financial benefits for teams and for uh, clubs to move to and to be in states that have sports gambling. Uh, and Tyler, I know you were specifically before the show, briefly talking to us about all of this and how, you know, kind of where this is in development. So, so what's going on here when it comes to sports gambling in Kansas, gambling is often seen as something that is an extremely, um, I guess, sinful practice And Kansas is easily one of the most red conservative States. And if I recall correctly, it's one of the most religious States in the country. Uh, where are we sitting at the possibilities of this even happening? Um, and if so, you know, how does this going to affect a potential move for Arrowhead and the chiefs? So it's 100 percent. 
it's now legal in Kansas. Now that doesn't mean you can go out and place a bet at a, at a casino right now. There is a timeline that has to be, uh, still configured. Uh, but this could happen anytime, either right before the season in August, September, it could also come in January slash February of 2023. The timeline still has to be figured out, but it has been voted on as a yes. There will now be sports betting in the state of Kansas. Congratulations, Kansas. <laughs> Um, with that being said, there are, uh, a, quite a few numbers that go with that. Now we do know that there are a few States that do have, that does, uh, uh, allow sports betting. New York is one of those Vegas, obviously being the number one, uh, the only place for a while now Vegas and, uh, New York are the two highest for tax, uh, taxable revenue for sports betting. Vegas is at 50%. New York, I believe is at 51%. I don't recall the name. Uh, the state off the top of my head, but the lowest before Kansas was 20% revenue. So that means that whatever a sports book makes off of this, if you're in New York, that sports book owes 51% of its revenue off of sports gambling right back to the state of New York in Vegas. It was 50%. Uh, and this other, uh, this other state, it was 20%. Well, guess what, Kansas it's 10%. It's 10%. If I remember correctly, that's lower than the tobacco tax. That's lower than the alcohol tax. That's very, very low for what Christian said was a conservative state. Now, there are a couple of things that come of this. Uh, you, you do have to allocate some of this taxable revenue into certain certain areas. It's typically much higher in Vegas and New York. They get a lot of money uh, and they like to make sure that those go back to public services. Kansas, however, does not. They don't like to do that because now they have an 80-20 split, which has never been heard of either. So not only is it the lowest tax rate uh, for the revenue, 80% of that tax that goes directly to the state will be used to entice professional sports teams to come to Kansas. What does that mean? 80% of that revenue share that goes directly to the government will now be used on 100% of the sports teams that come. So Sporting Kansas City, you're already here. Part of that money of that 80% goes directly to you to renovate the stadium, make a new stadium, do whatever you will with it. It just cannot go to employees um, or anything like that. That also means that 80% of that money could go towards a brand new stadium, parking lot and facilities for the Kansas City Chiefs in the state of Kansas. Now, 20% of that 100% will go to uh, public services, probably schools, educations, libraries, uh, road services, so on and so forth towards the regular bills that they have placed out. But 80% of that money goes towards the teams that decide to be, reside in Kansas, which means that that is a big, big block to build on for the Kansas City Chiefs should they continue to look to moving towards Kansas like they've been talking about over the last month or two. Um, and their lease is up in nine years. But one of the stipulations is, is part of that tax revenue that comes in could be used to break the lease that the, that arrowhead is currently holding. Face value. I, I, as a Missouri resident and chief season ticket holder, I don't necessarily love the idea that she's playing in Kansas, but I think it brings a lot of opportunities for us. You know, I grew up in a Mizzou household. I was, I was bred to hate Kansas and the Jayhawks and uh, just like the state of Kansas in general. And, you know, putting my personal feelings aside, I think there's a lot of good things that could come of it. 
And yes, I do love Arrowhead Stadium. I love the history that it is. I love the way it's built and how, you know, the acoustics make us or help us be the loudest stadium in the world. But, you know, I think if we make the move to Kansas, it's going to feel weird for a little bit, but we're going to get used to it. People are still going to go see Chiefs games. We're still going to be loud. I think with the the money that could be at our disposal, uh, the new stadium that we build, probably going to be a dome or a retractable roof. It's going to give us the opportunity to, to have a Super Bowl in Kansas City. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool opportunities that the Chiefs would get by moving to Kansas. And while it might, you know, pinprick me in the heart just a little bit, we're going to get used to it. And I think overall, it's probably going to be a smart business move for the Chiefs organization. Make sure that you guys listen in all weigh in as well. Obviously, like I mentioned before, we've got the poll question up on Twitter, whether you're for or against gambling and then whether or not you think that this will lead to the Chiefs moving to Kansas. Um, and go ahead, like I said, reply to that tweet, start threads, um, start a conversation. We're here for it. You know, we want to talk about it. We want to see if our beloved Chiefs are going to end up moving or not. So definitely let us know in those replies below. Um, I think that's all we've got for this week. Uh, we, again, want to say thank you so much to Mr. Bob Fesco from 610 Sports for coming on with us earlier uh, and talking Chiefs draft and some of the Chiefs pickups that, that we had. Uh, if you are like only coming in at the end of the episode for whatever reason, be sure that you uh, rewind that. That's towards the beginning, middle of the episode. A great interview, about 20, 25 minutes with him. Uh, so make sure you listen to that. Otherwise, uh, next week, as of right now, um, I believe we do not have a guest plan, Tyler, for next week. No, we do have a guest plan for next week and it is a recurring guest a one Mr. Josh Carraway from Coastal Carolina D1 football program coming back on to join us he is a Tennessee Titans fan so as we go throughout the week make sure to stay tuned in to our uh, Twitter page as uh, as we try and get your hot takes uh, for Titans football as well as Coastal Carolina football Um, you know we love having Josh on, so it'll be a good conversation as always. And remember to follow Tyler on Twitter at underscore Savainaya and follow me. Yeah. At, <laughs> That's right. it it's underscore underscore Suavage underscore. Underscore Suavage underscore. Excuse me. Yeah. Thank God it's not Savainaya. People cannot spell that. That would be impossible. No shot. Uh, and and uh, you can follow me at Folsom's Facts. And you can follow Tybo and the show at T2CFP on Twitter as well. And as always, thank you guys for listening so much. Hit that like and subscribe button on Twitter and hit the little bell at the top so that you will get all of our tweets and poll questions every week. We uh, are exploring, posting our content elsewhere. We'll keep you guys updated on that. Be sure to follow us on Spotify as well so you can get notifications every week when Tyler's finishing editing and producing and putting together the final post every time. And uh, as always, go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Chiefs.